Our sermon this morning comes from the book of Judges, chapters 13 through 16, if you'd like to follow along, although I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I'm not going to actually read portions of the scripture now, but I'm going to read some as we talk about the story of Samson, because you can't really pick just one scripture out of that story, I think, and preach on it. Because all three chapters are interwoven with action and things that happen and are important. So if you've never read that story, it's verses 13 through 16, chapters 13 through 16 in the book of Judges. I encourage you to do so because it's very interesting. And so this morning we're continuing our look at characters in the Bible that we hear about, we read about. They play an important part in the narrative, but then we don't really hear about them again. Two weeks ago we looked at the book of, of Philemon. From the New Testament, a letter that Paul wrote to a leader in the Christian church in Colossae, as Paul is writing Philemon to encourage him to, to, um, to tell him that he needs to welcome his escaped slave Onesimus back. Because Onesimus has gone and as he has spent time with Paul, he's become a follower of Jesus Christ. And so Paul exhorts Philemon to welcome Onesimus as if Paul was returning with him. And to not punish him, to not do any of the things that legally he was allowed to do, but to welcome him back as a brother in Christ because he is worth more than he ever was before. Last week we looked at the story of Ruth. And I think we looked and saw different examples of how Ruth in her story exemplified faithfulness and dedication and selfless service as she offered herself to help support her mother-in-law Naomi fulfilling God's promises, and then we saw how Ruth became an important part of the story as we look at the lineage of Jesus and see how she was of the lineage of King David and then later the lineage of of Jesus Christ. But it's her story. A Moabite, a woman that wasn't part of the Hebrew faith, she wasn't an Israelite, but because of a famine, her her mother-in-law and her husband took their sons and left to the land of Moab to find food and sustenance and to be able to provide for themselves. And then everyone died, and so Ruth returned with Naomi to the land of, of Israel, to Bethlehem, fulfilling God's story. And so this morning we're looking at a story that comes from the book of Judges of Samson. Samson's story is very interesting. When I think of his story, I think of of a modern, of a kind of an Israelite version of Hercules. Or something else because of the feats of strength that we read about. Because of the accomplishments that Samson is able to do and fulfill in his time as a judge there in the land of Israel. If you read the book, it's a time in the history of Israel that's cyclical. It's in a cycle. Because the people of Israel are in a time in which they're in the land that God has given them, but they strayed from God. And so they would get to where things were going well and they were providing for themselves and food was plentiful and the crops, harvests were were bountiful and they began to think, we're doing this because of us. And they started, so they started worshiping other gods and they started allowing other things into the land and, and they just started straying from God until eventually they would be overwhelmed by an invader. In this case, it's the Philistines who came and who would oppress them and who would rule over them and who would control them until eventually they would cry out in their oppression and God would hear their cry and God would raise a judge over the land to lead the people back into worship of Him. 
and to lead the people in militarily as they defeated their oppressors, as they drove them out of the land and became free until the next time that they began, can we get confident, that they began to stray from God yet again. And so it's a cycle. Samson's story that we read this morning is unique because he's the last traditional judge that we read about in the Old Testament. His story is unique because unlike the other judges that we read about, he doesn't raise up an army. Samson's judgeship is basically him. He doesn't rally an army. He doesn't gather troops. He doesn't call people to worship God. But yet he conducts in his own way kind of a one-man war with the Philistines as he drives them out of the land and as he deals with them. And so his story is very unique. In fact, Samson, if you read in his story, is handed over by his fellow Judeans. After he's killed a number of the Philistines, they go to the Judeans, to Samson's people, and they say, you need to gather him up for us or, we're gonna, or things are going to be harder for you. And so the people of Judah go to Samson, who's hiding in the caves on a mountain, and they say, please come out so we can turn you over. And he said, I'll let you do it as long as you promise me that you yourself will not lift a hand against me. And so they do, and Samson is handed over to the Philistines, or they attempt to hand him over. And that's the part of the story where he kills a thousand of them with the jawbone of a donkey, and then flees. See, Samson is a judge because in Judges 13.5 it says, he was called by God to begin to, to deliver Israel from the, land of the, from the hand of the Philistines. Samson's story begins, however, not with him. But it begins with his faithful mother, who has left unnamed in this story, and his father named Manoah. They're of the tribe of Dan. They live kind of in the southern region of Israel. They live in the portion of Israel that is next, or kind of near to the Mediterranean Ocean, which is why they're close enough then to fall prey to the Philistines. Because the Philistines' five major cities that they have located, are all located along the Mediterranean Ocean there. And so Samson's mother, who for years has been unable to conceive, is visited by a messenger, a messenger from God who tells her this, you're going to be with child, he's going to be a son, he's to become a Nazarite from birth, he is not to eat or drink anything from the vine. He is not to eat or drink anything that is unclean. He is not to allow to, to have a razor cut his hair. And he's to be dedicated to the Lord in, in order to rescue Israel, as Judges 13.4 says. In fact, Samson is to be set apart even before he's born, because the messenger tells his mother... You are not to drink wine. You're not to drink any or eat anything from the vine. You're not to eat or drink anything that's unclean. And so Samson set apart from the beginning. In the book of Numbers, verse 6, 1 through 21, you can go and read about how people who are Nazarites, who are set apart in their service and dedication for God, are to live. They're not supposed to eat or drink anything of the vine. They're not supposed to, to uh, come in contact with anything that is dead, a corpse of a human or an animal. And they're not supposed to cut their hair. And so Samson's to do all of these things from the beginning to keep his vow. And so his mother goes to tell his father Manoah what occurred and he doesn't believe her. 
And so he in his wisdom or, or in his questioning or whatever you want to say it is, he says, let's call out to God and see if God will come back and tell us. And so he prays to God and he requests that the messenger would be returned in order that they might learn how to teach and instruct the boy. And God listened. And the messenger returned and the messenger told them how he was to live his life as a Nazarite. And then Manoah said, how can, stay and eat. How can we honor you? And the messenger said, honor God alone. Offer a sacrifice. And so they took a goat and they burned it there on the altar that they had crafted on a rock. And the scripture says that the messenger of God ascended into the heavens in a cloud of smoke as the smoke from the sacrifice went to the sky. And Manoah realized that they had been in the presence of the Lord. There's nothing else about Samson's childhood after his birth. He grew, he grew to adulthood. And the scripture says that the spirit of the Lord was upon him. Until as an adult, he fell for a young woman who was a Philistine, woman named in the land of Timnah, in the community of Timnah. And he requested, in fact, he tells his parents, go arrange the marriage with her. As he approaches Timnah to, to negotiate the marriage with his family, Samson goes off into a vineyard. I hope you remember that he's not supposed to be in vineyards or associating himself with grapes or wine. And the scripture says that a, a young lion comes to attack him. And he kills the lion, but he doesn't tell anyone. That's kind of weird. I would tell someone if I wrestled a lion. Um, <clears throat> Samson returns later when he's coming back to Timnah to, for the wedding ceremony. And I read the scripture and it's almost like he's walking and he goes, Oh yeah, I killed that lion over there. I'm going to go over and see what it, is, what it looks like now. And so he goes to the carcass of the lion. Remember, a Nazarite's not supposed to come near a carcass. And he sees that bees have begun crafting a hive in the lion's carcass. And that there's honey in there. So he scoops some out and takes some of the honeycomb to his parents. And doesn't tell them where he got the honey as they eat it. And so the wedding feast is seven days. Thirty young men of this community are, are summoned or, or chosen to be part of the wedding party for Samson. And he challenges them to the riddle. Which is probably the portion of this scripture that you and I know the most. Or we know it, it's more common. Because it's the riddle that he challenges this wedding feast, these young men with. And if they can't get it, he will receive from each of them one set of garments, of clothing. If they guess his riddle, he will give each of them one set of clothing. And so the riddle was this. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. So after three days, the young men work to solve this riddle. They can't get it. And on the fourth day, they begin to pressure his bride, Samson's bride, to tell them. She pressures Samson. And the scripture says on the seventh day, he was basically sick of it. And so he told her. And she told the men. They came and told him what happened. The eater was the lion. The sweet was the honey. They solved the riddle. And the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. See, this was all part of God's plan of how God was going to use Samson to connect his people with him. Or to help deliver or begin to rescue the people of Israel from the land of the Philistines. And so Samson went to Ashkelon, this major Philistine city, and killed 30 men and brought their clothes 
to the men that he owed clothes to, and then he went away into the wilderness. There's a lot more to his story. It continues with him conducting this war, basically, with the, between the people of Israel and the Philistines, until eventually it ends with him falling in love with another Philistine woman. There's a cycle here where she is promised a thousand pieces of silver from all of the leaders of the Philistines, each of them, in order to find his weakness. And so she pleads with him. He's tied with new rope. He breaks free. His hair is woven into a loom. He breaks free. Until eventually he gets tired of it. And he tells her his secret that his hair, it's his hair. That if his hair is cut, he loses his strength. And so Delilah cuts his hair while he's sleeping, resulting in his loss of strength. He's imprisoned. His eyes are gouged out. But if you read in Judges 16.22, this is part of God's plan because his hair began to grow again. You know, it's almost like when I watch a movie or when I read a story and I read something that's foreshadowing what's going to happen. It's almost like when we read that Samson's hair was, was cut and his eyes were gouged out and then the scripture says, but his hair began to grow again, that we need to hear dun, dun, dun. Because something's going to happen. I mean, that's there for a reason, isn't it? It's not there just for, for fun. It's there because God is still at work. Even in this man who has fallen apart from what God has wanted him to do and from what God has chosen him to do. See, God's not done with him yet. Even after he's been blinded, even after he is shackled to the, 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 to the pole on a millstone as he's pushing it around, grinding wheat, in chains. God's not done. And so Samson's brought to the Philistine temple as they were having this great celebration. All of the leaders of the land are there. They're going to offer a sacrifice to their god, Dagon, out of thanks that they have conquered Samson. They have captured him. And so Samson's brought out to be paraded before them in victory almost where he's chained between two major pillars that support the roof. He prays to God. He pushes the stones over. Everyone dies, himself included. See, I think this story, with all of its imagery, kind of blinds us to what we can really see from it. This story can speak to us because Samson was chosen by God. He was dedicated to God at the very beginning of his life to serve, and he wasn't always faithful to what God wanted of him. In fact, I think we can read his story and we can see that more often than not, the story is about his unfaithfulness. But you know, in his unfaithfulness, we see and read the story of the faithfulness of God. You know, the wedding. As a Nazarite, he was to not be around wine, let alone drinking it. But yet, as part of the wedding feast, there had to have been wine drank in celebration of the wedding all seven of those days. And I'm pretty sure he was part of it. In fact, the wedding wouldn't have even been a wedding celebration if there wasn't wine. I mean, what was the one of the first miracles that Jesus performed? Converting water into wine at Cana, right? Cana of Galilee when they ran out of wine and he converted the water into wine. See, Samson broke the first instruction of what he was to not do as a Nazarite which was to not eat or drink the fruit of the vine. Yet God still used him. 
when he stopped at the carcass of the lion that he had killed in the vineyard the second time, and he scooped the honey from it and ate it, the second vow of the Nazarite was to not be around anything that was unclean, anything that was already dead, a corpse of an animal or a human. Yet God still used him. And then Samson told Delilah how his strength would truly leave him. Not by tying ropes around him that were new. Not by weaving his hair into to a loom. But by allowing a razor to touch his head. As he slept in his arms, she cut his hair, robbing of, him, of his strength. To where all he could offer when they came to get him was feeble resistance. Yet God used him. Because the scripture said that his hair began to grow again. Because God's plan was still going to be fulfilled. See, Samson's story, it's so easy for us to focus on on the feats that happened. Because they're amazing if you picture them in your head. Of a man fighting a lion. I've never fought a lion. I don't ever plan on fighting a lion. I don't know if anyone else has or will. But or him, him fighting all of these people single-handedly or, or just all of these things, it's almost like a picture of a superhero that we watch on our televisions or a superhero that we read about in one of our comic books. It's so easy for us to focus on those feats of strength, on those things that are out of the ordinary that we lose the picture of God in this story. Because we're too busy looking at Samson killing the lion with his hands or killing the 30 men of Ashkelon or killing the thousand men that came to to capture him with the jawbone of a donkey. That we miss God in this story. We miss God who continues to reach out and who continues to use a man who's flawed. But yet God's plan and God's will is far greater than the flaw of one man. See, I read this story and I read a message of hope because God could have easily set Samson aside and said, I'm done with you. I'm choosing to use someone else. I'm using, choosing to, to work through someone else because you can't follow what I have asked of you. You can't follow what you have chosen to do as a person who is dedicated to me. But God doesn't do that. God allowed His will to prevail. He allowed His plan to be fulfilled. And He used even Samson. Because the work of God is far greater than the work of one man. And so as we read this story today, as I read it and as I think about it for our lives, I hear a message of hope for us. A fulfillment for us that God will use each of us no matter who we are, no matter how we are, because we are each like Samson. Falling short of who He wants us to be. Falling short of where He wants us to go. Yet His plan is greater than us. His plan to to connect with all people is greater than us. And His gift that He's given us through Jesus Christ allows us to do and be who He wants us to be. See, the story today, it's easy for us to focus on the feats. It's easy for us to focus on the accomplishments. But I think the reason we read the story of Samson is because it gives us a picture of God who's never going to give up, who's always faithful, and who uses any and all of us because He's not done with us 
no matter where we've gone, no matter what we've done. His hope, Himself, He's there. And He's given Himself to us so that we can be His people connecting with others in His name in this world. Amen.